With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Vavil UK's very own Newcastle United podcast, Tyne Warp. I'm your host, Harry Roy, and I'm joined, as usual, by Dan Wright and Alex Worth. After nearly seven months, Newcastle have finally won a game of football. For the sake of the supporters, Eddie Howe, the players, the backroom staff, and us on this podcast, thank the Lord. We have to start with Saturday's win, of course, a 1-0 victory over Burnley, decided by a, a fantastic goal by Callum Wilson. Lads, I just want to get your general thoughts on a day where it seemed the tide had turned on Tyneside. It was a brilliant day, first and foremost, you know, winning the game. The release at full-time was fantastic. If we're talking about the game in itself, you know, it wasn't anything special, but it didn't have to be. Just as long as we won that game... Kept a clean sheet as well, which is massive for confidence at our defence, which has been very poor this season. Yeah, just absolutely amazing. And I'll move on to Alex, see what he's got to say. Yeah, uh, it was brilliant. It really was. Like You could tell that the lads were properly up for it. And um, I wasn't at the game. Um, I don't know if either of you, uh, of you were, but the crowd itself was fantastic on Saturday. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. We, we, we always spend time saying that our fans are some of the best in the world and I think Saturday really did show like how great and important they truly are to these players because as soon as they got up for it and they got behind the lads, there was just that extra little spark coming from each and every one of them. And yeah, of course, you can't take anything away from Callum Wilson with the finish. He did something that um, a Portuguese winger couldn't do uh, himself earlier on in the weekend as well. Certainly was, and that was score a goal. I had a tweet this with a banged, should we say. I, got, I think about like 1,300 likes. I just said that Callum Wilson scored the same amount of Premier League goals as Cristiano Ronaldo. It was a fair comparison. Look, it's just a bit of a laugh. And the Man United fans got a bit angry, and one of them messaged me going, um, let's have a bet at the end of the season. Let's see who scored more goals, Ronaldo <laughs> or Wilson. And he said, are you in? And I just put, no. <laughs> why, why would I do that? But back onto the supporters, and... It was just, like you said, Alex, it was just so nice to see. And people talk about Newcastle's support being one of the best in the Premier League. And, of course, I'm biased, and we all are, and we, we absolutely agree with that. But I don't think there'd be many football clubs where they've not won a game in 14, win their first at the 15th attempt, and have a fan base like that behind a team. Because it was special at full-time. The relief around the stadium, I was sat in the press box, obviously. You can't really celebrate other than punch in the air sort of thing under your desk but it's just seeing the scenes around me people hugging jumping up and down celebrating it's like we'd won a champions league 
We've only beat Burnley 1-0 at home. It just shows, I think, for the remainder of the season, look, Newcastle aren't the best in terms of quality and it's going to be a real struggle to stay up. But if they've got this crowd behind them and if they're going to be like that every single week, we can grind games out, can't we? Especially when we get some reinforcements in January. Yeah, definitely. It's a cliche, but they can be the 12th man. I thought they were absolutely tremendous against on Tuesday against Norwich as well. It was sort of like a bit of an equaliser. It was arguably a better atmosphere against Norwich, I would say. Possibly, yeah. I think it was a bit of an equaliser for obviously 10 men v 11. It was absolutely amazing. Um, you, you touched on it, the celebrations at full time. There's teams in title runs that haven't gone on like that and it's just so brilliant to be a part of and you know, I think quite a lot of people were feeling quite emotional at full time. It'd been a long, long time since we'd have that sort of feeling. Obviously, I, I could. How many days? I wonder. It's been since we won in front of a crowd at St James's it's, Park. It's, it's. I think it was so long. The Chelsea game. Isaac uh, Hayden. January twenty twenty. That it's just so yeah. so long. So there's loads of people that just won't have, they won't have felt that in such a long time. And it's it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And town afterwards was an absolute joy. Like it's, when Newcastle win, it's just a great city to be in. Yeah, I can only sit here in the middle of Derbyshire with <laughs> my face green of envy and jealousy um, over that. But no, I, I can definitely, definitely imagine it. I haven't been in St James's Park when we do win. It is, it, it's nothing. But I, I can imagine for a couple of people because there will have been fans that haven't been before that have never seen Newcastle win. Um, and this, I think, is the first true statement of the new Newcastle regime of, right, we've got the first win under our belts, we're here, this is the new Newcastle. Yeah, and I think that was echoed by the team photo we saw after the game, which sparked a lot of controversy online. I can see the view from other fans of going, hang on, they've won one game in 15, (laughs) they've just beat Burnley, they're 19th in the table, and they're doing a team photograph. What's all that about when... I think everyone kind of sees it up here as it's the new era at the club. We've got new owners. We've got a brand new manager. It's his first win in charge. A lot has changed at the club behind the scenes. And I think that was just a, a sign of that, really. And I don't think there was any issue with the team forward. Do you think, like, from obviously we're all fans of the club, were, were you any of you like a bit annoyed that they'd done a team forward? Because I've seen it and I was buzzing. Oh, I absolutely love it, to be honest. It's brilliant. Unity is the main thing. It just everyone seems to be pulling the same direction. I think, like you said, there's a lot of rival fans and sort of say, oh, it's a bit embarrassing that. I haven't seen one Newcastle United fan on Twitter or anywhere else say anything other than it's absolutely brilliant and it's great to see um, a real sort of spirit behind the team and if we, if we are going to stay in the division, we're going to absolutely need that. So yeah, more of that, please. I can understand why other fans would say that because if we were, say, fifth in the league and we saw Aston Villa doing it, it would be like, well, it's a bit cringe, that, isn't it? It's a bit cringe, but yeah, I, I suppose the so. other people would say, like, well, they haven't won a game in how many days, and it, they've just gone through a new manager bounce, and the team actually want to spend time together. So, shove it where it doesn't shine. Really, go away. It doesn't matter. The the team is really happy with each other. You can see that when they interact on social media together. Um, I, I think I saw an interaction. Uh, between St Maximan on uh, on Instagram and another a couple of Newcastle players, um, he just loves life. Does Alan St Maximan up here? Um, but again, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the team photograph. Um, I, I feel sorry for the guy that took it because um, he wasn't able to be in there. <laughs> very true, very true. But I think a lot of it as well is in terms of we don't know how much of a mental block it's been on the players as well to have gone so long without a win. Nearly seven months is unprecedented for a football team to mm. not win a football game. And like we touched on earlier, it's been nearly two years since a full house at St. James's Park has seen their team win a game. So there's, there's a lot behind the scenes to that as well. Well, I think we've got to touch on the individual performances of certain players and we've got to start with Callum Wilson, really, haven't we? I mean, his goal, his finish for me, is one of the most underrated finishes you'll see all season. That's such a difficult finish. The composure just in that situation, poor, you know, he's, he's come out for the cross, he's got it wrong, it's it's bounced out to him. How many players just hit that ball first time and don't think in that split second to take it around the keeper, lift his head up and knock it into the roof of the net? They've got two big centre-halves on the line as well and, and really, he could have only put that ball in that place for it to go in the back of the net. It just shows, though, how important he is to this team and we've got to keep him fit, haven't we? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of the goal to aim at at all and he somehow managed to find the roof of the net. Absolutely brilliant. And on a day where 
we might not have we might have struggled to score otherwise despite playing quite well in the second half that's just what what a huge moment that could be and what a huge player he is for us like you like you rightly said yeah the six goals he's already scored this season um are, have come at crucial times for us and he's already got half of what he what he did last season we can safely say and i'm i'm going to do the trope i'm going to do the really cheesy iconic line if he stays fit there's no reason he can't get the most goals he's ever got in the Premier League. Absolutely. I said it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's in a team that are 19th in the league. They struggle to create chances. He's got six goals in 11 games. Ronaldo's played more for Man United and he's getting spoon-fed balls by world-class players. The sky's the limit for him, really, if he can keep himself fit. But I, I think Eddie Howe even said, I think after the press conference, he said that we've had to monitor Wilson because obviously we had two games last week and we had to ask him to play again. So I think if we were playing like a Liverpool or Man City who we've got coming up, they would have rested him. Well, at the minute, obviously, I think for all Newcastle fans, it's, it's absolutely get to January. But at the minute, we've got to make sure Callum Wilson is is in every single match until we get to that point where we can bring in a backup striker. And we're going to touch on transfer news and all that a little bit later on in the podcast, but we've got to look at the defence. A first clean sheet of the season as well. You know, this defence has been absolutely hapless all season. It seemed to come together for this game. And the performances of Jamal Lascelles, and in particular Jamal Lewis, were first class. I thought I, I couldn't really fault them throughout the game because Burnley are a good side. Yeah, I mean, Joe Linton got the man of the match and he was good. I really, really loved watching him flourish. But for me, Jamal Lewis was the best player on the pitch. And he, wasn't, and he, he was very good against Norwich City as well on in midweek. I think he's... He just looks like one of those players who he's got the same amount of energy in the 90th minute as he does in the first. Like he just doesn't stop. He looks so fit and and ready ready for the fight. Really, his his tackling surprised me quite a lot because I had massive misgivings about his defensive capabilities. But his ability to tackle the ball and win the ball back in dangerous positions, I, I think, has been key. And I think he's shown that he is a better defender than Matt Ritchie, which, considering Matt Ritchie's a winger, is hardly surprising. <laughs> Uh, on Lascelles, uh, who you mentioned, his best game in a Newcastle shirt in a while. I do think, you know, he was up against Chris Wood. That's kind of Jamal Lascelles' bread and butter, you know, winning headers. That's that's what he's always yeah. been good at. And if um, Maxwell Corney had stayed on the pitch and hadn't got injured, then he might have had a more, well, he would have had a more difficult day because that's what he really struggles to deal with. Uh, forwards who've got a bit of um, trickery, a bit of pace, which is potentially worrying when you go to Leicester on Sunday but yeah a huge step in the right direction for the captain and uh, hopefully he can carry that forward yeah just to build on the um, Jamal Lewis thing he had a 78% pass accuracy against Burnley Matt Ritchie hasn't has played more games than Jamal Lewis has ever in a Newcastle United shirt um, and this season has never reached above 70 you, you can see that he is a better passer of the ball um, and obviously as Dan has already said he is an avid better tackler of the ball because he he, he can actually tackle the difference between Lascelles I think I, I don't know whether he trusts other centre-backs I, I, I liked the partnership that he, uh, he had against Burnley and I think that that's always been one that works because um, he always trusts his defence when, when it is set up like that um, but Again, I completely agree. If Max were, if Corner stay, stays on the field, both Lewis and Lascelles have a much more difficult game, um, and I think they'll have a, a very tough time against Leicester at the weekend. I mean, like Johnny said on the podcast last week, he talked about Corner and said that he's been a revelation for them. He's comfortably the best player at the club. It's a lot like St. Maximan for us. They they rely on him going forward, and when he came off, I thought on that half an hour mark the game completely changed on its head because Burnley were the better side for the first half an hour at the weekend and we really struggled to find a rhythm. I think once Corner went off, we grew in confidence and went on to win the game. But obviously we talked about the cells there and said it was probably his best performance in a long time, which it was. He, he Of course, he was up against a defender and Chris, uh, sorry, a striker and Chris Wood where you would favour him. It's, you know, it's his bread and butter, like you said, Dan. But Federico Fernandez was excellent when he came on against Norwich. Will he feel slightly aggrieved to have not been given that opportunity to, to start that game against Burnley? And do you think he would have done as good, if not a better job, up against, you know, if Corney was on all game? I think he'll, he has the right to feel aggrieved. I mean, there's the, obviously the question mark, is he fit enough to do two games in a week? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Um, He did play well against Norwich. Could he have done better than... He could have done as well as Lascelles. I think Lascelles dealt with pretty much everything. I mean, he was in... 
he ended up in Alan Shearer's Premier League Team of the Week, didn't he? So mm-hmm. that shows just how good a performance it was. So when I seen the team sheet, I, I was disappointed it was Lascelles instead of Fernandes. I wasn't surprised. I think I think Shaw, from what um, Eddie Howe said since the game, I think Shaw's a nailed on to start. You know, he's he's the type of mould centre half that Howe likes. I think he said so. He said in it's his likely conference. Sh- I think he turned around and said yeah. he's, my, he's my ideal type of defender because he's got that. He can play the ball out of the back, and I think that's yeah, exactly. what he's trying to achieve with this team. But there's always been talk, especially under Bruce, where it was like you can't play in a two. But I think mm. he showed that at the weekend. And look, if he if if we can get Fabian Shaw firing again, then I think we're going to be in good stead for the rest of the season, aren't we, Alex? One hundred percent. Um, I I've always been showering in terms of the the defense. Um, I, I again going back to Fernandez, I I completely agree. He is thirty. He is pushing on the wrong side of thirty, isn't he? So to keep up with the the likes of Cornier and um, aerial drills have never really been something that he is nailed on to do. And obviously, when, you, when you're facing Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes and Burnley, aerial drills are what you want. So if you have a big man like Jamal LaSalle that can win that, and that is his bread and butter, as Dan has already said on the pod, that's the duo you go with. And uh, uh, to have Jamal Lewis there as well as your, uh, as your backup that has, it, has that expert bit of pace as well as Shah, because Shah isn't slow, is he? He's, no. he's a quick lad. Yeah, I, I like that partnership. I I always have done, um, I, especially with Fernandez ageing. But, hey, if we get another centre-back in January, this all changes. But I think we are going to as well, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. But we have to chat about Joe Linton, haven't we? What a revelation. He's like a new signing, as the cliche goes. Are we finally seeing the best of him? Because we've got a manager now that believes in him. He's using him to his strengths. And it kind of shows, like, like what Julian Nagelsmann said, his previous manager said, look, he's got all these fantastic attributes as a... As a as a you know attacking player, he played well in the Champions League and got his move here. Have we finally got the Joe Linton that we should have got two years ago? Well, is he the same player that we got, but being used deeper and without the expectation of he needs to provide goals and assists? I would, I would say so. I think it's a mix, though. I think also is yeah. that he's got a manager now that's technically spot on mm-hmm. and knows his strength and is going to use him to that. Because I think this this role obviously we're playing like four four two it seems at the minute. And he's playing off Wilson. It's given him that freedom to come into the right, come into the left, and that sort of thing. And because you've got someone accompanying him in Wilson who's so clever, constantly mm. making great runs as a striker, the emphasis isn't on Joe Linton to split a defence and score a goal, is it? No, and I think he's... I couldn't tell you what position he's playing at the minute. If you put put in formation, it might be a four four two or whatever. But he seems to be a lot deeper than that, in my opinion. And he mm-hmm. breaks up. He actually breaks up play quite well. He's strong. He's got. He, he never hides from the ball, does he? Like he always goes looking always for it. it. Which is really admirable considering the time he's had here. Like that's a really good attribute to have. I did. I thought he, he wasn't as good on Saturday as he was against Norwich or Brentford, but he, he was still right up there, one of the best players on the pitch, in my opinion. Um, Few loose passes, but overall, I'm absolutely loving seeing him flourish in a Newcastle shirt. He just he just looks happier than mm-hmm. he was before Eddie Howe came in. I think that's if he's enjoying his football, we're going to get better things out of him. I mean, we all know the quality was there, didn't we? Look, that, look, we all think that this forty million transfer fee was insane, but he's clearly a good player. Look, no rubbish player is sold for forty million pounds. He's clearly got quality, and if Eddie Howe can get the best out of him, we're all for it, of course. And another great thing as well, the fans are getting behind him. I think look, I think everyone's understood his struggles. Look, he's come to a new country, doesn't know the language. It's a totally different league to the Bundesliga. He was asked to play as a number nine, but we finally, you know, he's finding his feet, and they've given him a new chant as well. I think he's got a couple on the go now as well. He's got the he's Brazilian chant, and there was another one about he's magic, big Joe. He's better than Cristiano. So, which one do you prefer, Alex? And do you think that Joe Linton now is one of those players where he's undroppable, and you want to see him start every week? Yeah, um, completely. I'll answer the the second one before I go <laughs> on to the the, the champ one. Definitely. Um, no, he's he is undroppable, and he he kind of sneakily has been all season. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know that when we were under Bruce, everybody would would go, "Oh, he's terror him. He's uh, he's not great. He doesn't score enough goals." But the really sneaky thing that Joe Linton has always done for Newcastle is win headers. Mm. And winning them aerial duels against centre backs. He um, in the other fourteen, um, which is the clubs outside of the top six, he's actually second in terms of aerial duels of people that have played over five hundred minutes of football this season, um, and he's only behind the man, the myth, the legend, Christian Benteke. So 
no surprise sure. there then, is there? No, there's absolutely no surprise there. The, um, the added meme that this podcast fully loves Christian Benteke is, <laughs> is going to continue all the way through. Um, but yeah, he's only behind Christian Benteke in terms of aerial draws that's won. So he has been useful throughout this year, but the way that Eddie Howe is utilising him and dropping him deeper is allowing him to distribute the ball to either St. Maximum or Shelby, or even Callum Wilson to flick on and go and attack and uh, kind of overload areas. So that's great. Um, and then for the chant one, and your chant question, um, it's his magic, you know, he's better than Cristiano. I, I love that so much. The first time I ever heard it, um, I was I, I was watching the game with a Man United fan, and the Man United fan pointed it out to me, and he was like, that is absolutely amazing. So I love it, um, and I know a lot of Man United fans get really heated about it because... Um, they were like, the saviour's coming, but no, um, Jonathan's having a better season than Cristiano Ronaldo. And so is Callum Wilson. <laughs> I, th- I think it's worthwhile um, giving some, some more praise to John Joshelvy as well. I yeah. mean, he's been transformed just as much as Joe Linton. I mean, I know from a personal point of view, I actually got to the point where I actually actively disliked John Joshelvy. Like After the Spurs held, game, I never wanted the, to see him play oh, for the club again. Oh, God, I... But even before that, I just thought he's lazy, and I think we've seen a big difference in him. He, he's got direction in his play; seems to have a plan. And look, he's technically our best midfielder by mm-hmm. some distance. So, yeah, I'd like to put some praise on his name as well. Fair enough, mate. I think you're absolutely spot on. I was going to mention him. I felt like I was just looking through my notes here, and I've got the cells, Lewis, Wilson, Julian. I'm like, John Joe Shelby. What a transformation! I think a lot of it's also down Eddie Howe putting an mm-hmm. arm round him as well. He was very clever in his first press conference where, like you said. You know, singled out Shelby is a player that I think you have to put an arm round mm. as a manager. We're seeing the best out of him, and like you said, he's he is the best player. Well, not the best player, he's the best midfielder the club have got, and he's one of the only footballers at this club that can ping a pass 40, 50 yards and pick out a man. So if we can keep getting the best out of Shelby, it doesn't put as much of an emphasis on January and getting into midfielder as well. It just, also, obviously, we've got Willock who hasn't. I, I thought, I think a lot of people were saying he played well, but for me, I thought he was. They all played well, but I think he's probably the worst player on the pitch at the weekend. So we probably need someone to go alongside Shelby, whereas opposed to at the start of the season when we signed Willock, it was all about, right, get Shelby out of the club, we need someone in to go alongside Willock. When I don't think it's like that anymore. Do you Do you agree with me, Alex? I'm going to be the, the bearer of bad news, and I'm going to be the guy that is a little bit Debbie Downer and doing all that lot. Yes, John Joe has always been great, um, but I think what Eddie Howe has specifically done really well in in terms of since, since when he's come in is put that arm around John Joe and may, maybe put his head up and picked it there. But his flaws are still evident. Mm-hmm. Like he is still really lazy. Um, mm, I don't I, I just, like his I his defensive his defensive duty is still not there. Um, like that is, but that's what you get when you have John Joe Shelby. That's fine. I, I'm not. I'm not there, but I'm not. I, I will not accept that he's completely turned everything around and he's a brand new player. He's the John Joe Shelby that we know he can be, and he's hit a purple patch at this present moment. What I will uh, completely agree with you is that the complete fall of um, Joe Willock is mesmerizing um, yeah. and really, really confusing to a lot of people uh, about how it ha- how it's happening, and Arsenal fans are loving it. Yeah, because I was talking to to another Dan, the Arsenal fan who came on, on our podcast, and he was asking me about Willock, and I just kind of said, I think a lot of it's down to, because we're significantly worse this season, the defence has regressed so much. Willock is having to be deployed a lot more defensively, whereas opposed to last year, he was kind of able, like, given that like free reign to make those late runs into the box and, and score goals, and that's kind of been eradicated from his game. And he's playing as a midfielder a lot deeper. When we get better players in in January, maybe that's going to free Willock up to to play to his strengths but I thought he really struggled in the first half of the game the amount of misplaced passes he completed second half he was a lot better mind I must say but first half he really really struggled uh, Dan what do you what do you think with Willick because I kind of look at him and Eddie Howe and the way he sets up and I just even when this team improves into whatever league we're in next season it's going to be a better squad than what we've got now do you see him fitting into this team because the more I look at it I don't think he does to be honest, I'm still uh, glass half full when it comes to Joe Willock. He is having a difficult time at the moment, but I, I do think there's a player in there that can be used in the, in the system. I think as a centre midfielder, I think he wasn't that advanced at times last season. He would just have that knack of popping up in the right areas or making the right runs. It, it, he's made quite a lot of tackles. Alex mentioned the other 14. I think I've seen one of their tweets today where he was on, on the list of most tackles won per 90 minutes or something, and that didn't really surprise me because... 
he does he does he, you know he gets stuck in he, he runs himself into the ground but he, there's just something lacking at the minute whether it's you know last season when he was on an incredible run he just had so much confidence maybe that's that's gone a little bit which is hardly surprising when you consider the run of games went and how long went out without a win and so yeah I, it's it's concerning but for me I'm I'm still very much of the opinion that he can play a big part in this team. He is sixth on that list, um, Dan. Uh, as you there, who's I above him? Of, I have it more in front of Sean me. Longstaff was above him, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, Sean Longstaff is is third. So Jacob Murphy is top by having um, five, right, four and a half tackles per ninety minutes. Yeah, it's a fullback, fair enough. Joe, Joe Willick uh, with three point one uh, four. He's above players like Alan in uh, Everton's team. Mm-hmm. Um, Joel Weitman for Brighton. Dwight McNeil, Matthew Cash, Timothy Costanga, John McGinn. So he's above some serious ballers in uh, in the Premier League, and obviously Newcastle got to do a lot more defending than the majority of them teams as well. So mm-hmm. you've got to counterbalance that, haven't you? Definitely. Should we move away from football for a little bit and have a little chat about the other things that have gone on at the club this week? Because as usual, it's it's been quite a busy week, and rejoice around Tyneside as them Sports Direct signs have finally been removed from that ground. Happy days! It's seen as the end of Ashley indefinitely from the club. Because people might just think there's a few signs on the ground, there's a few on the stand. There's about 80 in the stadium, even the tunnel when the players walk out. There's Sports Direct surrounding the entire thing. The Milburn reception glass atrium had like a oh, massive, horrible. hideous Sports Direct sign. Underneath the stadium, going all the way around where the fans sit, there's Sports Direct banners. Obviously, he's got the pitch sponsorship as well. There's an awful lot, but it's gone. What's your thoughts on it, boys? Because obviously everyone's very, very happy that they've been removed. But does it also sign to you that we're close to having a sponsorship deal announced with some said Saudi Arabian company with the Premier League's rules on, you know, they've got a ban currently on, on sponsorships being lifted next Tuesday? Yeah, maybe. I mean, firstly, when you go to St James Park, we can all appreciate it's a fantastic stadium. But if you actually take a minute to look around, or you, when it, when they were still up, it's hideous. Like it's yeah. so tacky and just cheap. It's it's really awful. I mean, some of them just look like he's just the the, clo- the shops closed down. He's gone. Well, we've got a spare sign here. Where shall we put it? I oh, will put it in the Milburn reception. Like it's it's awful. Uh, so it's so so positive that they're gone. It's the second part of your question. Uh, there will be other sponsorship. Um, Tuesday might be a specific date, a significant date. Sorry, it it might not be. But I hope whatever they do, less is more. Don't like I'm not in an ideal world. There's nothing up, and you've just got a, you put any castle badge or whatever on the top of the east stand and where this below the scoreboard, etc. There's going to be something, but just keep it a little bit classy and you know, a little bit sort of just not as much, basically, just not in your face because it was awful. And if we end up with another thing that's just plastered around the ground, then it's not that big of a step forward, so I hope they just are a little bit sensible of it. Because I've seen a lot of people, like, I've seen some mad posts on Twitter the other day, you've probably seen it as well, and it was, it was some guy had made, like, a mock, like, stadium expansion where the Gallagher was the same size as the Lees. Yeah, I've seen that. And he had, Did like, see the Aron, on that picture? Aronco signs were plastered all over the ground, and people were going, yes, this, this looks beautiful. And I'm looking at it going, that's hideous. Yeah. I don't want that. One was, like, the, green, one it? Like, yeah, I don't want that plastered around the stadium look we're all for sponsorships we're all for bringing more money into the club that's going to propel us to that next level but I think the owners they do realise what they're stepping into they know that the Sports Direct signs were absolutely hideous and I think even if they were to bring in sponsors they're going to benefit the football club because those signs didn't benefit the club at all I mean you only started paying for them I think a few years ago <laughs> paying like 100 grand some non- nominal fee to have them and I think they'll it's just it's just in, it's a whole intriguing topic the whole sponsorship deal Alex, I'm going to come to you on this one, mate. Obviously, the Premier League have said that any new sponsorship deal passed through, we think this ban's going to be lifted on Tuesday. They have extended it once before, so there is a possibility that it could be extended again, but assuming that, obviously, the club have pulled down the Sports Direct signs, it's an indication that a sponsorship deal is imminent. Premier League say that any deal has to be of fair market value. If you, I'm sure you'll know, you'll have a little stat table next year, looking at all the sponsorship deals, and the top six mm-hmm. clubs have got deals in over £30 million a year, whereas everyone else seems to be around, I think ours is like £4 million at the minute, I think Villas is like, and Everton's is like £8 million. Do you think that Newcastle can actually have like a top six £30 million sponsorship deal, or do you think the Premier League could just turn around and go, nope, 
I do not think that Newcastle United is worth as much or will be able to get away with a true market value sponsorship as um, Manchester City, Arsenal, um, Man United. I don't even think we'll be able to get away with one um, that rivals Leicester City. Um, and that is the God's honest truth. I really, It's disappointing, I know, but um, I really do think that that's the way it is. Um, uh, a true market value one probably will be around the five, six million pound mark for, for this. But hey, here's where you can get around it. Here's where this can start getting there. If you do a five, Amanda, six million, if you're listening, take note. If you can get, <laughs> if you do a five, six million pound deal for this season, mm-hmm. that's uh, hey, look, you you're doing a five, six million pound deal for six months. You then announce a brand new one when the the club's value and what actually happens with the club has a brand new one in April and has a brand new one in June. Yeah. So the April is officially the tax year, and June is the Premier League year. So as soon as the Premier League year rolls over. Every club gets revaluated, and then that is when you can restart doing your your more sponsorship. So if you have a five five million pound one, boom, that could be a new new midfielder that's out of contract in the summer. Also, another thing as well you've got to think about as well is this, the club at the minute aren't hampered by FFP at all because actually we're so frugal with the spending. Newcastle mm-hmm. can spend north of two hundred million pounds and still fall under those those rules. So, like you said there, Alex, they could. There's nothing stopping them just announcing some nominal sponsorship deal around, you know, say if it's similar to West Ham or maybe Everton, another like another 14 club. I think they'd be able to get away with that. And then obviously they've got that view in the future to turn around and go, look, with Newcastle we have ambitions of spending the same amount of money as Chelsea. Why can't we have a sponsorship deal that's the same value as theirs? So I think I think they will get there in the end, but I don't think fans should expect Aramco to be announced next week, 40 million pound deal bigger than Man United. Not, not going to happen. No, it's, it's you know they've literally that might have been the plan before these new rules were put in place, but that's certainly not happening now. But it also brings you on to who could this sponsor be? Because the plan was, I think it was written in the Telegraph, that it was going to be the Crown Prince's Vision Twenty Thirty that was going to be put in the front of the shirts. Now, obviously, that's a clear link to the Saudi state, and I think what, I don't know what the word they used. It was you can't use same party sponsorship deals so like nowadays like even though Man City you've got Etihad Leicester have got King Power Everton I think their training ground sponsored by their owner like USM or something you can't have that anymore which is a topic for all in the podcast I think it's entirely unfair unless you literally remove the sponsorship deals from every other club so do you think that hampers the club quite a bit because obviously PIF they invest in a lot of companies could they would they use like an airline? Because that's what I think it could be. Maybe there's a new Saudi airline that's been rumoured could take the sponsorship deals. Or are they just going to go and announce some random sponsorship deal with a company totally separate from PIF, PCP and the Rubens? Well, you've got to remember, Harry, um, Saudi PIF is completely different to the state. So <laughs> Of course it is, yeah. Who knows? Um, <laughs> honestly, I, I don't care too much i mean it's supposed to record it's brilliant i honestly I, I don't care what it is um in terms of money when you consider the ground is fifty two thousand full every week exposure like, there's no reason why they can't compete with the the best of the rest after the top six in terms of sponsorship money That's for stadium rights and what have you so yeah I, I think they can they can get decent money but it was a brilliant point you made about ffp it's not going to make a massive difference it's it's marginal isn't it really mm-hmm. Well, yeah, absolutely, because like, it's not like we're in a situation like Everton where they've spent all the money. Like, mm-hmm. Rafa had like a million pounds to spend in the summer. They've got, I don't know whether they're allowed to spend in January, but certainly they can't progress as a club because of financial fair play. And the only way they'd be able to progress is if they were able to attain a, a larger sponsorship deal, which has now been made impossible by the Premier League. Mm. Newcastle essentially have a clean slate where, look, obviously, relegation's a massive possibility, of course, but... There's nothing stopping them. I think they'll spend. I think they'll spend around eighty million. I think that's fair enough. They'll still be well under FFP if they stay up. They can come into the new season, spend another hundred and fifty million pounds. It can essentially plough around two hundred to three hundred million pounds into this club in, in a year and a half. Fall under FFP if they manage to get themselves. Of course, this is all hypothetical. If they manage to get themselves in a European position, then they could just turn around and go, look, we want to do a sponsorship deal the same value as Tottenham because we're finishing in that same bracket as them. So they'll have it all thought out. These people are very, very intelligent. They'll have people working on loopholes. Nick DeMarc was probably involved in some way as well. 
So we've just got to wait. He's on see. standby, certainly, isn't he? Like, he's if he's not involved in the day, it was a meme about him being James Bond, and it was like Richard Marcus <laughs> and Gary Hoffman were the enemies. <laughs> also, another thing that's gone on sort of at the weekend, last weekend, was Michael Emanalo. Well, apparently, well, first of all, it was released in the Telegraph that he'd rejected the opportunity to become Newcastle's new director of football. Then Mirdad Gadusi, our co-owner, turned around and said that's absolutely false and he was never offered anything. Then the journalist who released the article turned around and said he wasn't offered it, but he was offered a role, I think it was a role as like an advisor to them, to the board right. or something, something like that. So, so basically correct. his original story so wasn't original story. true. So it was untrue. <laughs> um, but that comes after news that was released in the Daily Mail this week that the consortium have hired a specialist recruitment firm to find a new director of football. Now, there's a lot of concern, a lot of journalists who are kind of... I mean, these new owners are under so much scrutiny, it's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it in my life. You know, they'll slate Amanda Stavely at any opportunity they can they can get, really. Do you think it's important that the club get a director of football in before this January window? I would have said so. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty essential, but it, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, does it? No. I mean, you'd like to think it would be done by now. What are we, like... 9th of December today, Newcastle United's birthday. Still happy not. Happy birthday, yeah. Happy birthday, Newcastle, yeah. Um, still not in. It's concerning to me, but I think if Eddie Howes knows the players he wants and he's allowed to, it's not such a big deal. And this transfer window probably will be very different than the others because the others will have a real plan, a three, four year plan, whatever. This one is purely about building a squad that is capable of staying in the division. So I, I can understand it. I can understand it. I think it would. I still disagree. I think we should have had one in by January, personally. Yeah, that was the original plan. Like, was get one in, get a new manager, get a new sporting director, get a new director of football, make sure that everything above board is okay, and we have a plan moving into the summer. We have a plan moving into January, and Newcastle are finally a functioning football club. I can tell you, there's one man that 100% does not mind that we don't have a new director of football, and that's Eddie Howe. Well, I mean, there's always been a lot of scrutiny around Eddie Howe and his transfer business, but like we've said on previous podcasts, if you actually look at the players he's brought in, a lot of them have, have went on to do really, really good things, and it's only the bad players that have been highlighted. But like we said, all managers buy flops. I mean, Guardiola and Klopp have bought many of them in their time as managers at two of the biggest clubs in the world, so I think it's harsh to, to put it on Howe, but there was I think it was a podcast I was listening to the other day, and it kind of turned around and said that at the minute, they're not really wanting to employ director football. They're wanting to bring someone in who's going to kind of see them to like tide them over through this period and then mm. get to the summer and employ their own man, which a lot of people look at that and go, hang on, so you want me to come into the club and act as an advisor to you like on a trial, and then if I do a good job, you're going to keep me on. If not, you're going to sack me. That can ruin reputations of these directors of football. And, and look, and the club aren't going to be going for people, you know, not just going for Joe Public. They're going to be going for the best in the business. So for me, I think they've just got to find a target, focus on him, get it done, and and take it from there instead of kind of messing on with trial periods and that. It, of course, we don't know what's going on. That might all be untrue. But like you said before there, Alex, about Eddie Howe being a happy man that this director of football saga continues, is that he's able to certainly weigh his influence in on the transfer market where if we did have a sporting director and a director of football in place the business would be done essentially over his head. There was a meeting, Craig Hope also said in this article, there was a meeting on transfer targets has been has, has took place and the targets include the first one, big indication that Howe's got an involvement on this, is Lloyd Kelly from Bournemouth. Now, he's a defender, he's done very well for them, certainly seems ready for the Premier League and we've seen a lot of defenders the likes of Matty Cash and there was a def- uh, Mark Gehi who's come to Crystal Palace that they've they've done really really well in their promotion to the Premier League. Uh, would that be a, would that be a signing you'd like to see, or would you think that's another one where you look at it and go that's underwhelming? I'll be honest, I know very little about him, so I'll leave this one to Alex see if he knows any more. <laughs> that is, didn't even read Lloyd Kelly in the notes that you gave uh, uh, pre pod. That is. <laughs> Oh no. no. Lloyd Kelly Lloyd Kelly this season has been a liability for Bournemouth in that centre of defence. He's the, I would say he's the reason why they lost the game against Derby County recently and I would also say he's the reason uh, he's one of the reasons behind their little slump that they're currently going through in the championship at the moment. Right, when, so don't want him then. When Bournemouth play 
a three at the back, as they have been doing uh, fairly recently, um, especially against lo- teams that do not overly high press um, so that they can knock it around and have an extra big body up there so they can use set pieces. Lloyd Kelly is in that centre and he's in that centre for a reason. He normally doesn't play in a two because they don't trust him in a two. So the fact that Eddie Howe might see potential in him because he brought him to Bournemouth, yes, that's cool, that's amazing uh, because he has all the tools to be uh, a good centre-back. He's tall, he's quick, he's a B-Tech Nathan Ake, but... (laughs) I would not want him at this football club. I think that would be a very, very underwhelming signing. When you've got the likes of Newcastle being linked with James Tarkovsky, and then you hear James Tarkovsky and Lloyd Kelly in the same mm-hmm. same sentence, I, I know who I want. I'm pretty sure I can tell who both of you two would want as well. Got an interesting story on James Tarkovsky as well. Obviously, I was waiting around for the press conference after the game, and Tarkovsky and Callum Wilson were conducting their interviews after the game with their respective club media. And they both finished, and Tarkovsky came up to Wilson, hugging him, like, oh, like, arm round him, that sort of thing. And I was like, we all know Tarkovsky wants to come to Newcastle. He certainly wants to leave Burnley in January. And did you see his interview, Tarkovsky's interview after the game, where he was, like, bigging up our fans? He was saying, like, oh, it's such a tough yeah. place to come, and the fans are, like, brilliant. I think I'm surprised their media put that out, to be honest. Because was... a lot of them were saying he's off in January then, he, isn't it? It was basically like, yeah, I want to go to Newcastle, um, come and get me. And he'd be a, he'd be a good signing. It's whether yeah, Burnley would let him go, of course. Him. I think that's the big thing, isn't it? I don't think yeah. Burnley would have a choice, Harry. Do you think? I, I no, think they'd rather let, let him go on free. In the summer. thing is, I think also, Burnley, if, I think they'd, I think they'd rather lose him for free than sound the worst in January because yeah, it's only going to strengthen our hand and also Newcastle aren't going to be the only club interested in Tarkovsky I think we know that Leicester uh, are after another defender and West Ham have just West lost Ham, Zuma yeah. and Ogbonna to, to, to injuries so if obviously West Ham and Leicester aren't competing with Burnley so that's an issue we may have but Newcastle can't offer more money which is something we've not been able to see for a long long time so we'll have to wait and see on that. But there is other defensive targets included in this list and two that are very exciting. I don't think Newcastle will be able to pull these players at this point. They might be able to, you never know. But Sven Botman, um, young Dutch defender from Lille and Matthias Ginter from Borussia Mönchengladbach. These these two could play definitely for a, for a top eight club. Do you think we can certainly pull these sort of players in in January? And we're going to have to spend a canny bit, especially for Botman. I think, he's a, I think it was the Athletic reporter. there's a fee around... Forty million pounds, which is a big risk when you're staring down the barrel of a of a season in the championship. Yeah, I, I think is it. He's very highly rated in the game at the minute, and and for good reason. He's part of the Lille team that obviously toppled PSG last year, so he's obviously got something about him. I think is it a risk because if we do go down and he does want to go, I think we'd probably be able to recoup the yeah. forty million or better. He stays in the championship, whatever. Yeah, he's he's a good player. I would certainly be. A little bit surprised if we were able to pull off those types of signings, but I don't think you rule it out. I think you said it before, we can pay more money, and I think there is a really exciting project at Newcastle if we can just stay in the division this year. So it's sort of asking a player to gamble a little bit on their career by potentially dropping down the championship, but also on the other side of the spectrum, they've got a lot more money than they would be earning at Lille or Borussia Mönchengladbach, for example. So... For me, it's in the balance, 50-50, whether we could actually pull off a sign like those. But yeah, you you spot on, they'd be, they'd be top-notch. Uh, Botman especially, I think I think he's exceptional. Yeah, um, definitely. You've already seen that with uh, Leo's drop-off in Ligue 1 um, with his nine, ten-game absence with a groin injury. They've conceded more goals than they did last season and it's heavily due to the absence of him in their centre of defence. He's young too, isn't he? Like, he's... It's, it's, one of, it's, a, it's a sign in the, the future that like he's you, you sign him and you think he could be the spine of the defense for 10 years there's another thing that someone asked me the other day about Newcastle potentially dropping down and it was who, who do you think you lose and I said I think we'd only lose St Maximan just because of the World Cup being in December and you know he probably needs to be playing Premier League football arguably for for a top club and I think he's the only player would lose and people go no you'd lose Wilson and look at it from Wilson's perspective. I mean, he's, he's approaching thirty years of age. I don't think he's going to get called for England, unfortunately. I just think there's there's Calvert Lewin and Kane, and then he's going to pick a young lad to go below them. It's going to be Mason Greenwood, someone like that. So I don't think he gets in the England squad. 
Wilson couldn't play for me, I don't think he gets into a top six side, a European pushing side. I just don't think a player of his quality is going to want to go and sit on the bench. So for him, the options would be to play for a mid-table club. Would you rather, for me, I would rather play for Newcastle in the Championship, win the league under Eddie Howe with 52,000 fans every week, as opposed to playing for Brighton in the Premier League and finishing 15th. Do you, do you agree there? Because I, I think that's the case. Well, I would. I mean, I'd rather play for Newcastle in the National League, but that's because I'm from Newcastle. Yeah. But I, I th- it's a good point. Like, if you think, if the likes of Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser, Almiron or Sheldon, whatever, all get round and say, look, lads, we've got a season in the Championship, let's all stay and we'll be back, we'll have a fun season and we'll come straight back up. Then, yeah, it, it's a season that you're going to score goals. If you're Callum Wilson, you're going to score a lot of goals. I think he would... Poor. Think if he's still fit in the championship, we're talking thirty plus. I think yeah. he's that good. And yet, do you want to play for a Brighton and Hove Albion? Or I mean, maybe if a West Ham comes calling, you know, I know Antonio's doing well. Mm-hmm. The the mates, there must be mates doing a podcast yeah. together, maybe. So I I think there is clubs that could tempt him. You know, that are potentially you know let mm-hmm. Vardy's getting no younger. I could see him leading the line for Leicester, for example. They've got Dakar as well. I need actual. Oh, good point. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I think. Callum Wilson seems like he's happy enough at Newcastle. It's not going to happen. We're going to stay up. No. It's fine. And look at Watford. They managed to keep a hold of Ismail Assar and Man United and Liverpool were sniffing around him that summer, weren't they? So, And like another thing as well is like if Newcastle were to go down, like it would arguably be the best ever side in Championship history. And it's not like where you know Callum Wilson could turn around to Newcastle and go, oh, Brighton have offered me 120 grand a week. We would go, <laughs> well, we'll give you 130 to stay. This is, yeah. We're in it... We're, like it's a, taking a long time for people to realise that Newcastle are just in a totally different stratosphere to what they were under Ashley. Still rubbish on the pitch for now, but over time <laughs> it's going to improve a lot more. And one of the improvements could start with the final player on this list, which was an intriguing one. And one I'd like to have a little bit of a debate about was Mohamed Elneny. And loads of fans were really unhappy about this thing. People going, Elneny, ridiculous. Da, da, da. He was unbelievable against us last season when they beat us 2-0, scored a great goal. And looking at Arsenal's team, it's considerably better than Newcastle's, and I think El Nenny would probably be our best midfielder at the club. What do you think on that one? He's certainly an improvement on Isaac Hayden, I'd say. I do understand some of the, like it, the the you've as a fan, if I can get my words out, there probably are better players available. Mm-hmm. But if there's not, I think we've just got to stop turning our nose up and expect. We are nineteenth in the league after all. We're nineteenth in the league exactly. I I think. I think he'd do a job, you know. I, I, I understand the frustration at that sort of link, but I, I genuinely think he'd do a job. He's better than Isaac Hayden, especially in the games like Leicester coming up. You could do with a player like that sort of breaking a play. I think. Can we get better? I hope so. But if not, yeah, I'd, I'd welcome him at St James's Park. I am going to play the role of the fan on Twitter. <laughs> Fair enough. I am going to completely disagree with you. <laughs> well, hey. Um, I, I I did see this tweet, so it's not original. I apologise. I can't I can't remember who tweeted it, so I did see this tweet. Um, if we sign El Nene, are we not just becoming the other way around of Liverpool stealing Southampton's players? <laughs> what steal? Uh, Liverpool stole Southampton's really good players. Yeah. So we're, are we just stealing Arsenal's really bad players? Because like, we got uh, we got Hayden from them. Um, we got yeah. But we Joe did Willick championship when we signed Hayden. Um, and we've got, uh, and we've also got Willick, uh, obviously on many from them as well. So are we just becoming the new version of what Liverpool did to Southampton, but just the flip side of it, and it's really bad players. But is that a bad thing getting Arsenal's cast off players because yeah. they they've got a lot better players than us? So if we're taking their fringe players, is it a bad thing? Like, I, look, I I agree with the fan from Twitter that it's maybe not the signing that's going to get you jumping up and celebrating, but. Is he an improvement on what we've got at the minute? I think absolutely. Thing is, I'm just going to have a look at Arsenal's bench and look at the amount of players from that Arsenal team against Everton. They lost the game. How many of them would get in our team? Aubameyang. Well, one. yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> El Nenny, yes. Rob Holden, probably yes. Yeah, he would, yeah. Sambi really Laconga, yeah. yes. And Ketia, no, because we've got Wilson and, and Big Joe. They've got a goal, uh, back up. Yeah, sub-goalkeeper, no. Nicolas Pepe, yes, yes. I would say so. Cedric Suarez at right back, probably, probably better not. than Manchu, and mm. Nuno Tavares, yes. So 95% of Arsenal's bench walks into our starting eleven. 
So I, I don't see why fans would rule their noses up in El Nenny, but of course I can get a lot of people buying into we're the richest club in the world. Yeah, richest club in the world that. that probably look like they're going to go down and are at 19th in the league at the minute. So I think we've got to be realistic with our targets, and I think all of those players listed would improve us somewhat. I don't know about Lloyd Kelly. Obviously, he's got rave reviews from Eddie Howe. But we've and got Alex. A, and Alex. Uh, yeah. Alex, Alex <laughs> loves <laughs> Lloyd Kelly. What, 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 you guys are, what you guys are forgetting, of course, is that um, players like this are not going to want to come up north. They're going to just want to stay in in London and um, take <laughs> less money in London like instead of coming Gabby to the Bonlohor. city of Newcastle. Gabby Abanlaho, who'd rather play for Brentford on like less money. And play for Newcastle. It's a horrible city, Newcastle. It really is. Rank. Never, never come. Never come to Newcastle. <laughs> honestly, but we've got to talk about the game at the weekend. The final part of this podcast. Leicester City away. It's probably Newcastle's best chance of getting the win from the next four games they've got coming up because it is a really daunting run in. After Leicester, they've got Liverpool, Man City, Man United in a row. Not going to get many points from that. But will this game actually go ahead? Is a question. I'm sure Dan really hopes it's going to go ahead because he's often the king power on Sunday. But seven Leicester players are out of their game tonight, recording this Thursday, against Napoli with COVID or illness. And it's not Jamie Vardy, it's not Harvey Barnes and James Madison. It's the, I think Ayuso Perez is one of those players. It's, it's out, Yannick Vestergaard, Adam Ola-Luckman, Kelechi Iheanacho. So quite a few significant first-team players who will be in and around the starting 11 of bench are out. But like we've seen with Tottenham, they had a few the other day and it's rose to like 20 players mm. now on staff. So do you think there's genuine concern here that this game might not go ahead? Well, it just depends on the next few days, doesn't it? Because yeah. at the minute with seven, some of them not even being COVID-related, you think, well, yeah, it's, there's not a way it gets um, postponed. But if a few of those cases get passed on, there's a few more positive tests. You know, we can want Newcastle to play them when they've got a few men down all they want, but the <laughs> the right thing to do would feel like the... first, yeah. Yeah, of course it is. Um but hopefully it all sorts out. I mean, hopefully the players are all asymptomatic and absolutely fine, but have got to do the 10-day isolation period. <laughs> so they're not available for the game. That's the ideal scenario. Yeah, I, I hope it goes ahead, but we'll have to wait and see on that one, won't we? I think it's a legitimate chance for Newcastle to get a win, even without these mm. illness issues, because Leicester, as I've got quite a few of the fans on Twitter, and they, they're just saying they can't defend to save their lives. And they Brendan Rodgers, I, I seen a mad tweet the other day where it was like, Brendan Rodgers, this is like a huge week for him. If he loses tonight against Napoli and loses on Sunday to us, then he could actually be in trouble with his job, which I'd never thought I would see mm. coming. No, I'm surprised at that, I must say. Um, considering we were, what was it we were quoted? Was it £16 million, apparently? Yeah, when, something like that. Yeah, that would, that would surprise me. I bet they'd be kicking themselves that we didn't take them up on that offer <laughs> if, if they do end up paying him off. Or if Leicester lose... If Leicester lose this evening, as we're recording this on Thursday, um, they don't qualify for the Europa League and they do not qualify for um, the Conference League. They will finish bottom of their league. Um, if they draw, they go through second. And if they win, um, they will go through first. So that uh, that's the way Leicester work. Um, unfortunately, they have been very poor in Europe this year. But to go back to your original question, should the game go ahead? Look, we've been dealing with this for nearly two years now. Um, this COVID, the COVID outbreaks, the, the testing the isolation periods of players um, I, th I feel like we should be able to get this right um, and we should be able to make sure that all the players are safe hopefully and touch wood they are still safe and everybody is still fitting well um, we had Cardalo in hospital at the beginning of the season mm -hmm. didn't we from Covid so um, most Newcastle fans will know that we, we don't mess around with this stuff uh, for us um, but what we can definitely say is if the game goes ahead in, uh, in Napoli then there's no reason it shouldn't go ahead at the King Power just looking at, at Leicester's recent form, and obviously echo what you've just said there, Alex, and they've only won one game in the league out of their last six, and it was a 4-2 win against Watford in the snow, which was an absolutely mad game. So Leicester clearly aren't informed. They're not hitting the dizzy heights that we expect from them. Look, we'd expect Leicester to be top six fighting for Europa mm -hmm. League and maybe a little push at the Champions League, but they're 11th in the table. It got beat off Aston Villa, drew with Southampton, scraped past Watford, drew with Leeds. And obviously with the running we've got after this game, do you think it's vital that Newcastle go here and get three points? Vital? I mean, every game's vital. Yeah. You, you feel it's harsh to sort of put that tag on a game against a team with the quality of Leicester maybe, but there's no reason why we can't. I mean, I watched quite a lot of the game they had Aston Villa last time out and I thought they were absolutely awful for the most part. Really bad. Um, so they're, they're, there to be, they're there to be hard, really. I mean, our defence with up against Jamie Vardy and, and Dakar 
does worry me. You know, whichever whichever one of them they pick for the game worries me immensely because you're talking pace and a bit of trickery, a bit of skill. We're not great against that, really. So there's players to be scared of, but I th- I do think it's a chance for us. We usually do well at the King Power. I think we've won three of the last four there. The one we lost was 5-0. We'll forget about that. Yeah. Um, Steve Bruce days. Ho- horrible times. I think Hayden got sent off in that one. Someone yeah, got sent off. It was Hayden, yeah. Hayden. Yeah. I think we can win it. I think it's harsh to call it a vital game and put that sort of tag on it. I think you look at the games that follow... Can't say he's picking up anything until the next game. You, you think that we've got half a chance is probably at Goodison Park on the thirtieth of December, I think. So it would be a massive win. Yeah, the um, the only bad thing that I'll, I'll increase to um, to Dan's spirit to say that they've got really good players that can hurt us. Uh, Uri Tillemans is uh, is deemed fit, so um, mm-hmm. if he gets some match That's fitness. A shame tonight um, uh, Napoli then um, obviously he possibly will start on Saturday um, if Brendan Rodgers decides to rest him completely then he'll definitely start on Saturday um, and he is very very good and probably one of the main reasons why this Leicester City side have fallen off um, apart from the fact they can't defend set pieces for Toffee um, and Newcastle are generally pretty good for him set pieces this season so uh, yeah I, I think we'll be able to snag something I think a draw would not be a bad result here. Oh, I'd take a draw now. If someone I probably me. would, yeah. 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 I, I, I think we can get at them. I think their defence, you touched on it, is perhaps a bit shaky. I think that I think Sayonchu is probably the most overrated defender in the Premier League. He's, he's an accident waiting to happen. I mean, in the game we won at the King Power last season, I'd probably say the first two were both his fault. He's he's a bit of a shambles and everyone seems to to, to rate him. Johnny Evans is, is solid. He's injured um, though, isn't he, Johnny Evans? Is he? Yes. I know he... He played again in the last game against Villa. I'm not sure if has he picked up an injury since then, has he? I think he got it during the game, didn't he? He was not, oh, too, not too sure, but Leicester have been plagued by injuries all season, to be fair to them. And obviously this COVID help prick ain't helping anything. And I think, if anything, it, it, obviously I think we've got a cause for optimism going to the King Power because we've won three of our last four games there. And that's I, I think we don't have many better away grounds. We've got a better record than, than the King Power. So, yeah. Do we, yeah, cause for optimism, would you say, Dan, going down there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's been optimism since the takeover happened. It's been, a lot of it's been misplaced, especially from myself. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think we've got a chance. I do. So, Alex, I want to chat to you about this one because you are our stats man. And looking at the game last season against Leicester, arguably our best performance of the season, a 4-2 win. I know we nearly bottled the typical Newcastle. We were phoning them up after, like, 75 minutes. And the the approach last season was that uh, to play a five three two. It was very similar to Steve Bruce, and it caused them all sorts of problems. We annihilated a team that it was their biggest game of the season. That one as well. It was like a real Champions League decider for them. If they won, it would have propelled their chances of getting top four. And a defeat would absolutely shatter them. And that's what happened. They lost the game to us. But we played that back five, and it, it worked very very well. Would you take a similar approach if you were Eddie Howe in terms of formation and tactics, or would you stick with that back four that got us to win against Burnley? Burnley. The main reason is is because um, Leicester's tactics have changed the, uh, themselves. They've decided to go for a, a, a narrower setting um, this time, um, with basically the likes of Madison and Barnes dropping more narrow to be kind of a, a three-pronged thing behind Jimmy Vardy. Um, uh, especially this evening um, with their Europa League tie against Napoli, their their teams have now been put out. They're playing a fourth uh, two three one. Either, if they do play that against us, then why not match them and go player for player? Um, but I can see why Eddie Howe wouldn't want to go for a back five because it might give Newcastle fans flashbacks about what Steve Bruce was going to to do for the, this game, and it might be a bit of a boring setup, and he might want to go and have a good go and lose while having a good go then lose and sit back and if you understand the the analogy I'm trying to say then that's great um, but no I can see a four back um, would be there and then a more attacking setup with maybe a four four two. One thing I can see from the weekend is lots of goals I don't think both both teams are rubbish defensively I think both teams will score and I think it leads us on to our score predictions from the game we always like the end on that here on Time Warp so Dan Leicester away King Power Stadium, massive game, as they always are. What are you going for? I'll go 1-1 one, one for this one. And the Leicester goal will probably be scored by Hamza Chaudhry or Samari, <laughs> a player that's turned us down. Or Perez, who might be back. Yeah, 1-1. One, one. I'm going 2-all. I'm going to go 2-all as well. It's going to be a bit, a bit of a shootout. 
think we'll either come back from 2-0 behind or we'll go 2-0 up and draw 2-2. That seems more likely. The second one seems more likely since we've oh, lost 14 points from winning positions this season. I think there's only Burnley who've lost more, haven't they? It's Southampton. Southampton. That's it, Southampton, isn't it? Southampton, they've lost 15. So I think that's that's everything, boys, isn't it? I think it's been a bit of a longer one this week. We're at the hour mark, usually around half an hour. So if you've stuck around for this long, thank you very much. And this has been Time Warp brought to you by Vavil UK. Cheers for listening. And from us three lads, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll catch you all next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.